Welcome to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, hosts Mike Niemer and Greg Frank will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education is important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now here's Mike Niemer and Greg Frank. And we welcome you into episode 140 of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable, alongside Mike Niemer. I am Greg Frank. We want to get to our guest in just a few minutes, Eddie Badrina, the CEO of Eden Green Technology, which is a vertical farming technology company that helps people around the world sustainably grow large amounts of food using less land, water, and energy. So certainly looking forward to everything he has to say. But before we get to him, let's check in with eRenewable COO and Niemer. Ann Niemer here, COO of eRenewable. We know today whether you're a public company, private equity, or privately held company, ESG and sustainability are important to your company. At eRenewable, we can help you achieve some of those goals. If you have any questions or need any assistance with regards to reaching your sustainability goals, please visit us at eRenewable.com to learn more. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. All right, Eddie, it's good to have you aboard again. It's Eddie Bedrina, the CEO of Eden Green Technology. And Eddie, obviously, we want to hear about your background, and we always like to try and get a feel for how our guests ended up where they are in the renewable space. And tell us a little bit specifically about kind of uh, point A to point B for you here. Yeah, well, first, it's great to be on, Greg and Mike. Appreciate appreciate the time. Um, always love having these conversations about ESG and sustainability. It's funny, I was, uh, I had a, uh, an interview or a, I'll call it a debate, if you will, last week here, here in Dallas on the subject of sustainability and profitability. Um, it, it was run by uh, Dallas Startup Week. So that was, this, this conversation is coming on the heels of that. So it, it should be, it should be a good one. Really, my, my background is not in ag tech, it's not in sustainability. It's actually in government and then entrepreneurship. I, I, I say I had three chapters to my career. The first one was in was in government. So I was an analyst at the State Department, primarily in the Middle East, both pre and post 9-11. So got to see and hear and experience some pretty interesting stuff uh, that will, will go down in history. And, and just got to be around some really great leaders. I, I went to the Bush School for my master's program. So I actually got to spend time, uh, quite a bit of time with President Bush Sr. and then spent time with uh, W. Bush as well in, in his administration. So that was the first part of my career. And it really gave me a macro sense for just how our local and national decisions can affect the global scale. I think people in the United States realize, but then they feel that fail to realize how much we affect our, our slightest movements in the market or in government, how much it affects the rest of the world. And there's a big responsibility to bear because of that. The second part of my uh, career, second chapter, if you will, was in starting a business. So I started a digital marketing uh, and MarTech agency in 2010 with my business partner at the time. We grew it, bootstrapped it, started it from scratch, grew it to be acquired in 2016. And then we actually bought it back 11 months later. And then I recently sold it again uh, for the second time about a year and a half ago. So uh, that's the second half. I really, from there, I really learned, uh, you know, how to run a business, uh, how to scale a business, how to market, uh, how to go to market, product market fit, 
audience segmentation, really, really finding uh, what works for a specific audience and then honing that in, not just for, for my, my brand, but also for a number of other brands that we worked for. So that leads me to this chapter of my career where uh, we just had the, uh, I had the opportunity to take a step back from that and come run eating green and, and eating green in a nutshell is vertical farming, but in a greenhouse, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think for, for your audience and, you know, for our discussion, just focusing even on the energy if when you're able to use all the free sunlight that you can possibly use but then grow with the density of a vertical farm. What you get is a really, really efficient and sustainable, both economically and environmentally platform. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to kind of follow up on everything you just said there with regard to, you know, the specific chapters of your life where working in government, being a little more entrepreneurial and now doing what you're doing. How is it kind of, how have you been able to kind of, pluck a little bit from each chapter to help shape you into the person and the, you know, professional that you are today? Wow. Um, I would say, you know, it really comes down to mentors. So when I was in college at a and uh, I had the opportunity to be mentored by a guy who was 50 years, my senior. So I was, I was 20 and he was already 70 and he just imparted to me one, find a mentor wherever you are, learn from them, be a lifetime learner. Uh, but then through two on a, on a career level, he just gave me some good practical career advice that then just helped me on my way in each of those chapters. So when I went, went into government, I actually had the opportunity to, um, to have another mentor who knew government way better than I did, who knew the internal policy and politics and was able to just guide me and kind of give me pointers along the way. So that really helped speed up my career, if you will. And then in entrepreneurship, um, I just had a, a number of colleagues who I'm still friends with to this day who were all kind of going through the same thing at the same time. And so uh, being open and honest as an entrepreneur is a really hard thing to do because the buck stops with you for your company. But if you have like-minded uh, guys and gals around you who are also running their own companies, who run them the way that that I want them, like I want my own company to be run with integrity, with openness and like a vulnerability and authenticity from the leaders. Uh, and then just, you know, particularly in my you know side of the business, just a high growth um, type of business, not satisfied with organic growth, but really high growth. Uh, you, you really, uh, if you find one or two or three of those folks, uh, you just learn from each other on what pitfalls you know, each other has avoided and what, what successes they've had using certain techniques and strategies. And so I've just learned from my peers and the more open and honest you are with them, the, the more that you'll learn from them. I, I think there's a, a real tendency among entrepreneurs to hold on to the tightest things of like finances or how you're actually doing mentally and emotionally, how you're doing with your, with your relationships, how are you leading? Where did, where did you fail in a leadership point? How can you can do better, but the more that you're able to open that up uh, to folks that you trust and who will, who will give you hard kind of iron sharpens iron type advice, uh, the more that you're going to set yourself up for success. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, Eddie. That was a, that was a great story for the listeners to hear, but back to your vertical farming. I was, when I was on your website, I saw that 
one acre of vertical farming equals 40 acres of regular farming. Yeah. Now I've seen the pictures on the website, which I want you to give the website for other people, our listeners to go see, but describe to everybody how one acre can equal 40 acres. And the second half of that question is you talked about the sunlight. Okay. Affecting what you do. Do you have to pay attention to the weather? What's coming up ahead to alter how you're farming. And it's kind of timing on that question is last week we dropped Matt Rogers, CEO of commodity weather group. He had a lot of fascinating things to say about weather and about the heat here in Texas and the drought, so on and so forth. So if you kind of parallel, you know, one acre versus 40 and how weather ties into the growth of your vertical farming. Yeah. So, so the, the way one acre equals 40 is really because one, it's, it's the density. So if you people go to eatinggreen.com and if you go to our social sites, which are all eating green tech, right? So Facebook slash eating green tech or whatever, Instagram slash eating green tech, what you'll see is 18 foot towers within a greenhouse. And the towers are about 12 inches uh, spaced apart. So they end up looking like a huge 18 foot wall of greens, right? And then you put the two walls together and you have a whole aisle of greens. And then within one aisle of those greens, which is roughly 1500 plant spots, right? Times a hundred plus aisles, you get to where we are plus two, two banks of aisles. And so an acre and a half of our newest facility actually has 328,000 plant spots in it. Like I'm, I'm going to repeat that an acre and a half has 328,000 plant spots in it. Now, yes, your, your eyes are wide. That, that is correct. That is not a mistake. So then when you're able to grow it the way that we are, the plants are basically getting an all-you-can-eat buffet of light and of nutrients and of water. And it's just flowing really, really quickly over the plant's roots. When you have that type of uh, vertical hydroponics, which is what we run, when you have that type of all-you-can-eat buffet, the plants, one, grow a lot more nutritiously and healthier they also grow a lot quicker. So um, to get five ounces, which is your kind of your normal size of, of a lettuce or a leafy green that you get in stores, to get five ounces of most leafy greens that we grow will take 21 days. And then we harvest it. So you could literally have 13 to almost to seven, some, some of the varietals, 13 to 17 harvests in a year out of each of those 328,000 plant spots. How's that compared to traditional farming? Out of one plant spot, you're probably looking at a 35 day turnaround, maybe at best, right? Then you have to till the soil. You got to get it ready again. You got to replant. That takes a couple of days. So out of one plant spot in a conventional farm, you're probably looking at, I don't know, five harvests a year. And you got how many harvest a year <laughs> on, on the, on the conservative end 13. Wow. Yeah. So, so it actually, you bring up a good point with, with each individual plant spot. So, you know, when you look at the waste 
and you look at the, the inputs into that plant spot on a conventional farm, you have to water it, right? You have to put nutrients in it, but that plant spot loses a lot of that just around it. You know, the plants are not spaced 12 inches from each other, way more than that. You just lose a lot in terms of waste, in terms of the water and the nutrients. So uh, for instance, in, in an, uh, I'll call it a 40 acre farm of conventional, conventional farming, open, open field farming, you're probably going to waste around 800 to 900,000 gallons of water a year. That's not consumption, that's waste, right? Because plants drink, right? So that's just the wastewater. And if it's conventional, then that wastewater, that 900,000 gallons of water is full of pesticides, right? It's full of synthetic fertilizers. It's full of whatever came in the environment around it. And it's, it's contaminated runoff, 900,000 gallons of water from a 40 acre farm. And you know, all of these farms are tens of multiples of 40 acres, right? tens of thousands of acres. So that's a lot of wasted water that goes into contaminated runoff. Contrasted with us for that same amount of volume, uh, we waste around 90,000 gallons of water for the year. So your house and my house, by the way, we flush and water and run the dishwasher and laundry 45,000 gallons of water a year. So in, in the two households worth of water consumption, we will, we will grow 2 million pounds of greens in a year. Like that's all we waste is two households worth of water to grow that many, that volume of greens. That's the comparison. Eddie, I'm just curious in terms of the growth of ag tech and just the rise that we've seen a lot of the stuff that you're talking about with Eden Green. What can you say just as far as where the rest of the United States is at with what you do? And, you know, are, are you still kind of a niche market or is, is what you're doing kind of becoming more mainstream? Are we seeing more people kind of explore that space? So it's far from mainstream, but the need is absolutely there. So if you combined all the, it, the, the industry is called CEA, Con Controlled Environment Agriculture, and it involves both greenhouses, flat tray greenhouses, which you see pretty regularly, and then indoor vertical farms, which I can kind of explain the differences. And then we sit in the middle, right? If you combine all of those companies together, they would only amount to about three to 5% of the entire uh, produce industry. We're not even scratching the surface, guys. Like it's just not there, right? So, so we have a we're in inning one of this industry. But as you alluded to, in terms of weather, in terms of just drought, um, we we need it. the The country needs CEA, and and here's why. And I'll only speak to to where we are with leafy greens. 90% of all of our leafy greens for the entire United States, from California to Maine, 90% of it comes from two places in the U.S., only two, Salinas Valley, California, 
in roughly Yuma, Arizona, somewhere in Arizona. That's it. So if you eat a salad today, if your audience eats a salad today and they're sitting in Boston, they will be eating a 3,000 mile salad nine times out of 10. Here in Texas, we're eating a 1,500 mile salad nine times out of 10. You tell me whether that's remotely sustainable or not. It's not. It's just not. And by the way, California and Arizona, what are they going through right now? And what will they continue to go through for the foreseeable future? A super drought, a mega drought, that's what they're calling it. So we're getting 90% of our leafy greens, our salads, from a place that's going through a mega drought only to have it trucked 15 to 3,000 miles away, up to 3,000 miles away. And you're telling me that we can keep on going with this part of the industry? It's not going to happen, guys. Yeah, you know, when we go to Costco and we go to the salad aisle to buy our salads, they have half the amount of salads they did before. And the price is higher. Right. So those droughts are being felt here 1,500 miles away. And you know they're being felt 3,000 miles away. Right. So in the, in the best of times, those, those farms in Salinas Valley in Arizona, they will waste not in addition to the 800 to 900,000 gallons of water a year in contaminated runoff, they will also waste 20%, at least 20% of the harvest on the field. It will never get harvested due to tip burn, due to wilting, due to X, Y, Z. So you get the 80% remaining, and that's being conservative. You get the 80% remaining onto a truck, and then you fill that truck with diesel and you ship it across and it takes days. It's called food miles. So in those food miles, you're wasting diesel. You probably, you probably spent diesel just to harvest the, the things, right? Then, you're, then you're, it's probably going to take three days, four days to get to a distribution center, right? Because truckers can only drive an industry regulated eight hours a day. Can't drive eight hour and one eight eight hours in one minute. You got to stop at eight hours. So it's probably going to take you three days at minimum to get to Dallas, five days to get to Boston, New York, right? So it's sitting in those food miles full of diesel, by the way, and infrastructure degradation, road degradation, and it's wilting. It's going bad. So by the time it gets to the district, not even to the grocery store, guys, by the time it gets to the distribution center, five, six days, five days already gone. Then it gets to the grocery store. You probably have another two days. So you get, it's a week already. It's a week off vine, off out of the ground. Then how long does it last in your fridge when you finally buy it? We all know it. About three not days. Very long. Not very long. So how much, so you don't even account for the waste in your fridge. No one really can account for that. But grocers, it's already priced in that you're accounting for 40% waste. That's why the prices are so high. Eddie, you've talked about a lot of the things in terms of problems that we're facing right now with the distribution and, and things like that, with everything being on the West Coast. But I want to go back to, and uh, it's funny, just before you jumped on, Mike and I were talking a little baseball. I'm a big baseball guy. And you said we're kind, of in the, you're kind of, we're kind of in the first inning, right? Yeah, totally. uh, Where do you kind of see us by like the seventh inning stretch? What's the hope here in terms of where we're going down the line? Yeah, I think uh, I, I think by the time you get to the closers, right? You, you'll probably see 
you'll probably see 50% of the industry being, being indoor grown, uh, in some, in some form or fashion. Yeah. You know, uh, so far in this podcast, you've compared, or we have compared a, your style of farming versus traditional farming, but we haven't talked about, uh, the life of the product once it's been picked versus yeah. each other. Can you go through that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so because, um, our business model and, and, you know, other CEA providers have different business models, right. Uh, but because our business model, uh, is, is totally focused on being right next to distribution centers. And we can do that because our footprint makes work, makes sense from a real estate cost perspective, right? It's, it's the whole business model, right? It's just, it's, it's the aspect that I think we're really, really good at, but because we're, we're placed right next to distribution centers, um, you virtually eliminate the food miles, but you also eliminate the time. So whereas a conventional farm wastes 20% conservatively on, on, uh, on the field, we'll only, we liberally, we will waste 3%. It's really more like one to 2% waste. And then it's right next to the distribution center. So it gets to the distribution center 24 hours after we pick it maybe 48 if trucks are running a little behind, right? And then it goes to the store. So the store gets it, instead of getting it six, seven days in, they get it three days in. And because our, again, it goes back to the way that we grow, per, like Eden Green grows our greens. They're healthier as a plant. They're more nutritious. They're, they're, they're um, more robust they last longer on the shelf and in your fridge. I like to, when people come and visit our greenhouse, which I welcome people to come visit our greenhouse. If you're ever in Dallas, Fort Worth, come on down. We'll give you a tour. When we give people tours and I give them sort of samples, if you will, right. I'll give them two samples uh, in packaging. One, I tell them, eat this tonight. Enjoy it. It's amazing. We just picked it. The second I'll say, write today's date on there and then set an alarm for two weeks from now and just see how it tastes two weeks from now. I have had so many friends, colleagues, and then people who have toured uh, our facilities text me or email me and say, oh my gosh, I totally forgot about the salad you gave me, which everyone forgets about the salad they buy, right? And it was two weeks ago, I took it out and it tastes amazing and it's still crunchy and fresh and not wilted two weeks. It'll go even longer than that. So the real question for everybody is where can we buy your salads? <laughs> right. So right now we're just in Dallas, Fort Worth. We are, we are rolling out with a retail, a retail brand. We're a white label provider. So, so here's the greatness about it. We want to be infrastructure. We are greenhouses infrastructure. So we want to have a mesh network of these all around the United States. And we don't want our own brand. We want them to power other people's brands, whether they're retail brands, you know, grocers own white labels or private labels. That's what we're into. So we've got a retail brand that is a partner of ours. It's, it's under wraps, if you will, because um, they uh, it's just a white label thing, right? It's a new thing in our industry to white label it. I will say you can find them at Whole Foods and Sprouts. And then, 
you'll also be able to find them in in school districts uh, here pretty soon. And then we've got we've got a relationship with a with a big retailer that we're rolling out in a couple of months, which will be in a, in, a, in a private label. Well, I want to offer to you. We also have a shorter version of our podcast called the Follower Friday. When yeah. you're ready to make that announcement, please come back on on our Follower Friday. It's a little eight minute show. Yeah. Make that announcement. I think the listeners would like to hear the rest of that wrapping up. Would, would uh, love to. Would love okay. to. You know, uh, one thing I guess we didn't ask is how does your technology for indoor growing compare to your competitors? Really, you have, a, you have a spectrum of CEA providers. You've got greenhouse, flat tray greenhouses, all the way over to indoor farms. The, the great things about flat tray greenhouses is that they're econ- the, uh, the economics work for flat tray greenhouses, but you need a lot of square footage, right? So you need for every, call it 40 acres of conventional farming, you probably need five to six acres of flat tray greenhouses to kind of get get the volume and then get, get good economies of scale, good, good margins because they grow in square feet, right? The problem with five or six acres of greenhouses is five or six acres of greenhouse. It's a lot of capital expense and it's a lot of um, operational expense, right? And then the land, the land's just expensive. So you can't put it nearer to the population than you, than, than a certain, you know, there's a certain distance just because land's so expensive, right? So it doesn't really solve, kind of half solves for the food mile problem. Um, and most, most greenhouse providers uh, that we know are building in 60 acre increments, 120 acre increments under roof. There's no way you're gonna find 60 to 120 acres remotely near a population center. It's still gonna make that drive, right? So then um, on the other end, you've got vertical farms. And vertical farms can be placed closer to the population, and they are. The problem is with vertical farms, they're so expensive because of all the lights and the technology in those vertical farms to grow in a converted warehouse, in a, you know, in some sort of building. The lights are expensive to buy and install, like tens of millions of dollars to do that for the amount of lights that they need because they're not using any sunlight. Think about the electricity costs on those lights. And then you ask, okay, where did you get that the electricity from? Chances are it's not renewable. Not at that, not at those levels. Those are data center type levels of energy consumption. So you peel back the onion, right? You peel back the layer on the onion of vertical farms. And it's, it's a little sketch to be honest, because they're, their energy consumption is that of a data center. So then you say, okay, if your energy consumption is high and energy is costing a lot and your CapEx is high, how are you making money? No one's talking about that. Thanks again to Eddie Petrina for his time on The Green Insider. This has been episode 140 of the podcast powered by eRenewable. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast from and leave us a five-star rating because as the saying goes, you learn something new every day and we were responsible for today's lesson. For Mike Niemer, I'm Greg Frank. Everyone, enjoy the rest of your day.